Welcome listeners, this is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Our show stands for empowering future and current entrepreneurs to stop dreaming and start entrepreneuring, which means to take that leap, take that first step on your idea as opposed to sitting there thinking about what you should do. Not only are you getting valuable advice, on starting your business, but you have the opportunity to connect with some of these entrepreneurs. Now, let's hear from today's amazing, diverse entrepreneurs. Today's guests are Kayla Rodriguez-Graf, co-founder and CEO of Sweet Bile, and Dr. Isaac Rodriguez, co-founder and chief science officer. Sweet Bile is a medical device company based out in Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, that has market-ready medical devices cleared by the FDA. Sweet Bile has invented a patch and I'm going to do my best to describe this patch, but it's, uh, I think it's named APIS, or how do you pronounce it, Dr. Isaac Rodriguez? Yes, yeah, so it's named Apis, uh, or Apis, off of the Apis mellifera, which is Latin for honeybee. That's wonderful. I love how you're nerding over honey <laughs> and science. So Apis is made uh, from gelatin. I practiced this before the, the show, but hydroxyapatite. And one of the main ingredients comes from a surprising source, manuka honey, derived from bees that pollinate a manuka tree, and it's a natural ingredient with antibacterial qualities. So Sweet Bio is the first to demonstrate the exponential healing potential of these materials that helps tissues rebuild and heal wounds more effectively on, for example, diabetic patients with ulcers. Now, Kayla has been featured on Forbes 60 Minutes, Apple. She also, this is amazing, Kayla. You're recognized on Inc.'s third annual Female Founders 100 list. So this is honoring just badass, diverse group of 100 women who are building America's most inspiring business. Alongside Mel- Melanie Perkins, the founder of Canva, and Jessica Alba of Honest Company. And to add on to Isaac's credentials, yo, these siblings got accolades like no other. Dr. Isaac Rodriguez brings over 15 years of experience in tissue engineering, regenerative medicine, and biomaterials, a PhD in biomedical engineering, cited in over 900 academic sources. So for those college students, you probably, if you're in biomedical major, you probably did some, you probably came across one of his articles. And he was also top 40 under 40 for Memphis in 2015. And oh, I should mention, he's also a Gates Millennium Scholar, money well invested, Mr. Bill Gates. <laughs> so thank you, Isaac. And thank you, Kayla, for coming on to our show. Happy to be here. Yeah, very excited to be here. Thank you. So today, Kayla and Isaac, we want our listeners to learn about the story of two siblings who came together to create Sweet Bio from pitch to FDA clearance and Medicare approval and the future of wound care treatment, and how your product is going to be transformational for the community of colors, not just wounds. More specifically, we want to reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining a biomedical company. And as always, in the end, we'd love to save a few leadership questions so our audience can expand their outlook on leading their business and apply any pieces of advice that resonate with them. So before we dive in, I'm going to run a fun segment. It's titled Hugh Minutes. Yes, folks, we combine the words human and minutes, and in this segment, we're looking for honest and human responses to a few fire rapid questions. So what do you say? Are you ready for some human minutes? Let's do it. I feel like we're on a game show. I love it. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. And you both can answer, so whoever gets that spark of answering. So first question, <laughs> favorite Puerto Rican food? Ooh, 
love an appetizer, the the sorritos with like the mayo ketchup sauce. So good. Oh. <laughs> oh, I was going to say sorritos, but I'll probably say just a really good bending, like a nice season with that, mm, with the sazon and the, uh, oh, I mean, oh, oh my goodness, I'm hungry. Yes, I haven't had breakfast yet, so I'm going to have to, <laughs> I'm going to eat as soon as this interview is done. Just so, go ahead. Favorite thing, <laughs> yes, favorite thing to shop for at Target. Kayla, I mean, literally my favorite retailer because I worked there for many years. Um, I love the Hearth and Home collection by the by um, Chip and Joe Gaines. <laughs> yes, uh, you know I don't even know why I go to Target, and I don't even know what I end up getting. But I just end up getting something. There you go. There's like, oh, that's a great deal. I didn't even know I needed this. I think that's the beauty of Target is just they. <laughs> They uh, make sure that they you don't walk away without buying something. So we do love our uh, our V8 sparkling energy drinks, my fiance and I here. I know Kayla and her husband do too. So typically we'll do an online order, try to pick it up the curbside and not go in the store because then you end up spending more money. So we end up... Uh, that's true. That's what, we, that's what we try to do. I love that. Really practical. So what is one skill you both try to learn, but you're not so good at? So many. My goodness. <laughs> supposed to be easy questions let's see <laughs> i know I, <laughs> I know probably like tennis i really would love to play tennis but i'm like not good at all I'm terrible <laughs> i like I, I don't know if it's a skill but i think maybe with a talent i wish i could sing like really well or just partially well i, I would take like a 10 percent, you know a bump in my <laughs> singing skills i think kayla got those genes so at least one of us is able to <laughs> Nice. So we know who to invite for karaoke. And I'm just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> You're still welcome. You're still welcome. <laughs> and then, as brother and sister, what annoys you the most when working together? I mean, that's hard. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't really get annoyed. I think if I can add, like, what I'm always impressed by, like, Isaac has so much knowledge on, like, so many things, whether it's from a science or a business side, that I'm always just, like, I get annoyed that I didn't ask him earlier because he had an answer. And I'm like, well, I didn't know you knew that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's unbelievable how much knowledge is in his head. Uh, I appreciate that. It's, you know, what's <laughs> exciting about both of us is that we obviously started the company together, right? So we're both very passionate and that I wouldn't say that that's a good thing. It could also technically be a bad thing, but it's not with our relationship. And if you have two people that are super passionate, then one may overcome and just be like, no, my way. I know this is the way to do it. And it's like, well, we're, if we both reach that spot, we still find a way to like understand what's the original intent behind it so that we can move forward. So I think like both of us being super passionate is of an extreme positive in our case because we know how each other work. We know for the past 30 plus years, we've been, you know, working together in some capacity. So it's, it's a unique, uh, powerful, like, dynamic to have as a brother sister team to be passionate about the same thing and then to respect each other's passion and, and vision and professionalism and excitement that is amazing thank you for sharing that thank you for like turning the question around too i didn't know i was like i i that's the this, i love it that's the stereotype you ask the question like oh you got your or your brother and sister you're working together how does that work and for you both to master and be respectful to each other and and, and help to like ease the passions with each other no not to like kind of step on each other's toes that's amazing so beautiful family well that was few minutes with kayla and isaac now we'll start to the the actual questions 
walk us through what you both did before become becoming entrepreneurs. And we can start from after undergrad. Sure. So, I mean, I guess my career isn't as diverse as, as Kayla's has been, but I did my undergraduate in biomedical engineering. I guess a quick story in undergrad, I didn't know what type of engineering I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something in math and science, so I applied to engineering school, got in, and then it wasn't until the first year uh, that our mom had a total hip replacement. So they removed her bone and put in a titanium implant. And Kayla and I took care of her for a week while she was, Kayla was in high school and I was in college. And that just fueled my passion for understanding biomaterials. How can someone like a biomedical engineer design a material that can go into the body, help somebody like our mom run and walk and just be normal again without you know, much pain? So that was my undergrad is I, I focused on that passion project of biomedical engineering. So then after I graduated, since I had the Gates Millennium Scholarship, there was no reason to not do a master's and PhD because it was already paid for. So I applied for a school, which was Virginia Commonwealth University. I went to UVA, University of Virginia undergrad, and I went to Virginia Commonwealth in Richmond, Virginia, because of uh, the program there, and specifically a professor who was world-renowned in tissue engineering and regenerative medicine. So I ended up working in his lab for six years. I did a master's and PhD together, combined six years total. Uh, while I was there, that's where I was able to start the publications, work on some honey projects, some biomaterials. I actually worked with some dental projects in the bone space. And more importantly, I think when I was there, I was super involved with the organizations, the Latino community, the the city of Richmond and, and starting mentorship programs, running a Zumbathon, like teaching Latin dancing, whatever I could do outside of my my biomedical engineering, I, I loved being involved. And that I think is what set me up to to be ready to be an entrepreneur. Uh, so that was until 2013. And when I graduated my PhD and I had an opportunity to stay in Virginia or my professor was leaving to come to Memphis. So I decided to join him and I did a postdoctoral fellowship working with him and we set up a brand new tissue engineering lab here at the University of Memphis. Uh, didn't know a single soul here except for my professor actually stayed at his house for a week before I found an apartment in a random place and I was just like, okay, this is my new life in Memphis. And th throughout the 2013 to 2015 is where we started uh, Sweet Bio in 2015. So really just understanding what did I want to be when I grew up after my PhD. It's like, did I want to be a professor, work for a large company, starting my own company really wasn't on the top of my list. So just feeling out a few things of understanding what I could do with, with my new degree. So I'll, I'll end my story there because like when it, it, I did invent the product while I was at the University of Memphis, which is the origin story of, of Sweet Bio, but I'll pass it over to Kayla to, to share her background. Yeah, so while Isaac was learning how to rebuild bodies, I was, you know, helping people expect more and pay less uh, at Target. Um, but, you know, my background, I, I always loved business. Um, we come from a, a line of strong female entrepreneurs who invented their way um, out of their situation and into a new life. And so, um, our grandmother had a, a store started in the States, moved it to Puerto Rico, bridal store, and I saw her bringing joy to people. And I remember thinking, that's what I want to do. You know, I, I want to bring joy to people. That's what business must be, right? Um, and so undergraduate, I went and studied entrepreneurship and marketing um, out in Minnesota. And it was because I had a full scholarship, you know, similar to Isaac, I'd been out there once, um, but I knew that they had a school that was open to thinking differently. And 
I was excited about being in a new environment because I think when you work with people with different backgrounds and different experiences, you can just create game-changing you know, ideas. And while I was there, I had connected with Target and ended up working there for about five years, five or six years, and knew that I wanted to start a company someday, but I just never had that idea. I always thought that I needed to have this fully baked billion-dollar idea that I would then just go start. What I realized much later on is that you just, you need an idea let, like a baby idea that you then make better and better and better. And then you change and then you throw away and then you come back, you know, it's, it's a process. And when you get that billion dollar moment, it's after like, you know, marinating. And so, um, when I started at Target, I thought like someday this, you know, this idea is going to hit me. But in the meantime, I'm going to go get all the skills I need to be successful as an entrepreneur. So let me go learn how to crunch some data and be an analyst. Let me learn how to tell stories out of that data and be a strategist. Let me learn how to communicate those stories to people. And then let me learn how to do that effectively through internal consulting. And so I took those roles within Target to be able to say, okay, I kind of have these tools in my tool belt. And I'm going to have that idea. And I didn't. And so I'm like, okay, let's go to San Francisco. I want to, again, be in a place where there's diversity of thought and different cultures. So I went to an international business school, one-year MBA program, and studied disruptive business models and sold my car to learn how to code and, you know, really just immerse myself in innovation and disruption. And, you know, Isaac and I had a phone call and said, like, let's start a company, our first gonna fail anyway so let's just let's just get this going and you know our first idea was I still think it's a good idea but wasn't the idea and then Isaac's like oh by the way I've been working on this technology for three years do you want and I'm like what let's do this you know so yeah and then that kind of begins the origin story but you know Isaac was building this like depth of knowledge and the life science uh, biotech industry I was kind of studying disruption and the way startups were coming up in the valley. Um, and then that's kind of where our world's glided. That's amazing. A- another moment when you didn't know how incredible your ceiling was. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you've been working on this? You're just literally fixing people. Like you've invented something to fix. It's unbelievable. So when what was that aha moment that led to the idea of your company, Sweet Bio? Can you share that story with us in that moment when he was sharing with you what he was working on and how this could kind of scale to help a lot of people in the, in the States. Yeah. I mean, when we look back now, you know, there were a few questions that we really wanted to answer um, when he's like, Hey, I have this technology came from a clinical need. And we're like, okay, can you use it all over the body? Like, you know, is it limited to just one place or can you use it everywhere? And Isaac was like, yeah, you can use it everywhere. Like, okay. Can you patent it? You know, can you protect it? Can this be ours and something that it, you know, can create value here and, you know, outside the U.S.? And the answer was yes. I'm like, okay. And then can we make it for less than we sell it for? You know, is this a for-profit business here? And Isaac had built the lab at the university. He very deeply understood what it took to make this technology and had a very good idea of what it would take to make it at a scale. And all those things were yes. So he said, okay. I jumped because I believe this is a material that people can resonate with. And when I look at the healthcare industry, there aren't very many companies and products that people resonate with. And when I say healthcare, I mean medical device, you know, something that is built for the patient, that talks with the patient, right with them, not at them. 
And honey is one of those warming, um, comfortable, trusting materials that opens the gate for conversation. And we named the company Sweet Bio, not XYZ Therapeutic Biologic, because we knew that there was this crossover potential from medical device in the operating room to in the patient's home. And that's my background at Target is I understand consumers. I know purchasing behavior. I know a little bit about you know customer empathy. And so when I thought about the high science and the efficacy, it works. This, I mean, it's just incredible, the technology. And then you layer on the ability to commercialize and resonate and kind of disrupt from a market entry, market penetration, market expansion side. That was the aha moment. There are very few products that are able to say, I work so well, I can compete with the best and I can have like the best branding position. And I love the name too. It's so welcoming, <laughs> Sweet Bio. It's just, as opposed to that name earlier that typically you would see when you hear from other medical device companies. So then for, t- this is a question for Dr. Isaac Rodriguez. So describe the science to a smooth brain like me. <laughs> so how does it all work? How can this healing patch do all this? And who is it for? Yeah, and this is something that I've honestly struggled with when I started the company. It's like you're a, you're a scientist that just spent, I mean, I, I spent 10 years in school and learning and then two years as a postdoc. So it's like, oh, here's my idea. It takes gingival fibroblasts and then you're able to secrete these extracellular growth factors. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, whoa, calm down. What are you talking about? So... So that's why, you know, working with someone like Kayla, too, it's just a business background. It's just like we need to communicate to all audiences. Let's say you're on stage. You don't know who's in your audience. In fact, let's have a one-sentence pitch and pitch it to our grandparents. And and how can they understand, like, what we do? Because that's who our product is for. The high science is for everyone. It's not just for the doctors. It's not just for those who understand it. Like, it is to help everyone heal. So what our product does is is we take these well-known ingredients that have – biomedical, biomaterial, like bioactive properties on them themselves. So you've heard of collagen before. People drink collagen. There's collagen in lotions. Like it's a very well-known ingredient. You've heard of honey before. Uh, those are our two main ingredients. So there are collagen products and there are honey products, but if you use them independently, it's not the same effect. So what we were able to do in the lab is basically make honey more of a solid. So honey is is known and has been used since the ancient Egyptians to to help heal wounds, decrease bacteria. It's known to have anti-inflammatory properties. It could help any wound progress. But the problem with that is it's messy, it's sticky, it's short-term, and you can't really contain it in the wound site. You're just pouring honey in your wound. And when it heats up, like uh, Kayla's oldest says, when you put honey in tea or soap and water, it just dissipates. Like, it just goes away and into and, and the solution. So what we ended up doing is, like, let's take this ingredient that is well-known, from a medical side and from a consumer side, and let's make it more into this solid patch, this solid sheet. And we needed an ingredient to help house that. And that's where that gelatin slash collagen mix came into play. So it's not as simple as just like one and two, but what the product ends up doing is it has this this base of collagen gelatin. It incorporates Manuka honey. It's not coated. It's not slathered. It is really at a molecular level, all incorporated. So it's it delivers the materials to the wound site to help that wound progress. Whether it is a new wound, uh, like a surgery site, it can help progress through the healing cycle. 
or if it's a, a wound that's stuck, like these, like you mentioned earlier, these diabetic ulcers or these venous leg ulcers, these, these wounds that are just open for weeks to months to years and no one can close them, it helps change that environment so that it gets unstuck and moves it towards progressing and closure. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think that really paints a picture to our audiences and to some to myself of how this this product works and and helps people. Now, obviously, when you start a medical device company, there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of regulations and a lot of processes in order for you to create this company. So maybe can you talk to us about a few setbacks that you both had while creating this company? And what can be done to avoid them or overcome them? Because there's some things that you just can't avoid. It's you have to push through. Yeah, you know, one of the most important things when you're starting a business is to look at risks. You know, what risks do you have? And you can take a look at risks in a couple of categories. You know, what kind of technology risk do you have? You know, and that's kind of one of the first things we set out to say is, okay, we have this technology that we can make in the lab. How do we scale it? You know, how do we make sure that we can get this to a production level that makes sense? You have operational risk. So how do you, again, you scale it, but make sure you have the entire supply chain that you need to support and grow? Do you have the internal processes, you know, documentation, et cetera? What kind of team risk do you have? Like how many um, people do you need and, and what do you need them to do to achieve your milestones? Um, for us, what kind of regulatory risk? So we deal with a lot of branches of federal government from the FDA to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid um, to the U.S. Patent Office. So what are those risks? Um, and then ultimately there's market risk. So do you really clearly understand where you fit. You know, is the market big enough? Are they willing to pay for a solution? And are they willing to choose yours? And so as we kind of evolved through Sweet Bio, some of the biggest hurdles we had, you know, at first we did a lot of prototyping. I mean, we tried different molds, did all sorts of different manufacturing runs, different packaging types to ultimately get where we are today. Um, then we had some fun regulatory, you know, um, so we went to the FDA in one industry and it turns out that we are actually a better fit and there are fewer hurdles in a second industry. So we were going down a route and the FDA said, nope, you're not going there anymore. Um, sorry. And we're like, we're a small company. Do you know what that means to us? You know, I mean, we can't afford to just redo and, you know, we put our heads together and what we called the Phoenix Summit, you know, how we were going to rise from the ashes of the scorch and, and, you know, create a new tomorrow for us. And a year later, which is pretty record time, we had a clearance for wound care. And so that I, I think taught us a lot about who we are and the kind of the culture of the company of, you know, we can do this, we can overcome hard things. It's not a question of if it's just how. But then you you hit next hurdles, right? So we were very proud of that work and we got the clearance, but then we had market risk. Like, where do we fit? And we've pivoted, especially during this pandemic and during these times when the industry no longer looks the same from when we started. We sat back and listened and we pivoted to say, okay, we were a high price point product that was kind of accessible to the top. 10% of the population. And we don't believe in that model. We believe that everyone deserves to have access to top care. 
and we're going to bring our product to a fraction of the cost. Even though it deserves to be priced up here, people deserve to have it. And so that was a huge pivot for us as we started to see the just chasms in care of who had access. And so that hurdle in making those decisions of like, Doing what's right and what's good for business um, is something I think I personally struggled with. We have investors, you know, et cetera. So I would say for anyone listening and you're starting a business, take a look at those categories of risk and start outlining and seeing which ones you need to answer first. And you're going to hit hurdles in every single one of them. But if you tell yourself it's not about if I'm going to get over it, it's just how that's how we've been able to persevere. That's awesome. And then you all were... When you were pivoting from the first, uh, you're trying to get the first FDA clearance, correct me if I'm wrong, was that through uh, dentist or the yeah. dentistry? Yeah. Yep. We were, you know, we were invented to be a dental product and it, it works really well and it would be so disruptive and incredible, but we would also be the first product with honey in dentistry. And rightfully so, there are questions that the FDA would have on safety, bringing a new material. And the the burden of evidence, it's not overcomable. It just wasn't at the time and stage of our company. Yeah. And then something you mentioned earlier, when considering launching the APIS product out to the general market, I'm, I'm assuming you all right now are selling to doctors, to hospitals, but you want to try to get to the consumer, correct? Yes. Yes. So knowing that these communities who need it most are Black, Indigenous, people of color, what steps are you taking? What are those specific steps to make sure that it gets to the hands of these vulnerable communities at an affordable rate? That's something we're still discovering. So we have, and again, if I were to leave two pieces of advice, the first is if you're looking at company, take a look at your risks. And the second is never stop doing customer discovery. So we have, we're building out our launch plan and a pilot plan to say, okay, if we're trying to get to these communities, you know, we obviously know the Puerto Rican community, where they get their information, where they are physically present. Those places are few and far between during the pandemic of physical locations to outreach and who is influencing them, right? And so one of the things we've learned is we've seen a lot of one removed from the person who has the wound. So if it's our mother who has the wound, it's typically us going out there and trying to find something that's going to help her get better. So in terms of marketing and getting to those communities, we have to make a decision. Am I talking to our mother or am I talking to us? Because we hang out in different places online and physically. And so those are pilots that we're going to be launching in the next six months is, okay, let's talk to us who is the loved one of watching someone suffer. And we understand that burden you're going through. And let's pilot to the person who has the wound. Okay, we understand how you're feeling. Let's get you to a healthier tomorrow. And so there's several publications, several online, but they kind of split into who we're talking to. Yeah, that's incredible that you're running those two. Which ones are you gonna? Are you thinking of doing first? I don't know if you can share that. Yeah, but. yeah, we're thinking of doing the loved one first, you know, and and that's based mm. on feedback we've gotten. So we have a info at Sweet Bio Box where we get emails unsolicited that are just like, my mom has this wound that won't close for six months, or my uncle, or my wife's father, you know, 
wife's father's brother, it's typically someone who's just trying to help because these wounds have been around for so long and they've tried so many things. And so we've chosen kind of that one first because that's the input that we've been organically getting. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to switch over to when you were getting the funding or how you got this funding. A lot of people want to know, like, if you're, I see you both right now. You both look, you look my age. When I look at Dr. Isaac Rodriguez, I know people, I can't, the the, the 4K quality cannot see that. And, um, and I, I'm just amazed of how young you all look. And I'm sure when you were pitching a lot of these, you maybe came across uh, VCs or incubators or companies that were questioning some of your 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 idea and your expertise. So talk to us of how you've sec- you've been able to secure the funding, and I think most recently is through Vamos Ventures and Apple how you're able to secure funding to help get this product out to market. Yeah, I'll I'll tee it up and then Kayla, you can kind of finish it off because Kayla is really spearheading a lot of the, the fundraising. Just and I'm just supporting that amazing fast moving train. But you know, you're you're completely right in a healthcare industry like like ours. It's it's very rare to see people of color, people that are under fifty, people uh, females. Like it's it's just very rare to see that. So we have been at events where. Kayla and I are going up to a group of people talking, right, at a conference, and we're here to pitch our idea, and we go, just join the circle, and they just, like, look at us and form a new circle, and just don't even talk to us. We've had that happen. We've sat down in front of an investor, and this one happened to be a woman, which was a little disappointing, but she's like, well, where's where's your advisor? She's like, what do you mean, where's our advisor? Where are the company? Where are the founders? Where are the, what do you, well, you need someone with, with gray hair to be here pitching with you. And it's just like, so you're telling us we don't have the experience, basically. And and so that was disheartening, but we ended up, you know, using that as motivation. You always have to. Yeah. And then another example, we sat down in front of an investor at a conference, and our question to them was, what is your ideal investment? Who do you look for in your entrepreneur? What are the characteristics you look for in your entrepreneurs, right? And no joke, this is exactly what this investor said. Uh, well, preferably a white male in his 60s, that has started multiple companies and has exited. That, that's who I would look for. In front wow. of us, like sitting there, we were just like, okay, we're leaving. And, you know, you have to interview investors as much as they interview you. And that is just, we will not take any, any of your money <laughs> at all. So, you know, even if they did offer a check for $5 million, it's like, it's just, it's just not, it doesn't sit well with us. You know, how can we bring a product to market with money that just comes from that sentiment? Mm. And it's just, it just didn't sit well with us. So you're completely right. It was an uphill battle uh, to get there. But yeah, Kayla, I'll turn it over to you to talk about the successes. But it is important to, to show that, you know, just I mean, we have raised almost $6 million today. And, you know, there were more no's than yeses. And you really just need one of those yeses in the beginning stages to then prove your idea, get a little further, get a few more milestones, get another yes and another yes to then, you know, lead to hopefully a big yes later on with a big check. But yeah, Kayla, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, I mean... For those who are considering raising money, you have a decision you have to make up front. You know, do you think that you're going to be a, um, do you plan to be a company that could exit or go public? Because then you're probably going to want to take venture capital. 
are you wanting to build this and then kind of franchise it out? You know, you might need a different set of capital for that. And then are you going to do this as a lifestyle business? You know, do you want to start your own photography company and keep it as you, you know, not grow it and sell it, but keep it as you or start a restaurant or, you know, et cetera. And so depending on what your end goal is, will dictate what kind of funding and financing you should pursue. So that's the first point. When we started this company, we knew that we had the chance to grow to, we would keep saying we're building a billion dollar company. And so in that case, that tends to lead to venture capital. We, when we had started, we said, okay, let's go figure out our biggest risks. We went to a medical device accelerator program called Zero to 510. And an accelerator is amazing because they kind of push you through the meat grinder and they're like, okay, let's go find, you know, go talk to a bunch of people that could be your customers, go refine and out the other side, you know, if you have something, you've now gotten to know a couple investors during the program, they can be your seed money. And so having that credibility and having those investors right out the gate of an accelerator was critical um, because it's the first domino to fall. That first check is always so difficult. But if you have access to chambers of commerce, if you know any foundations, like go join a young professional board, um, go, you know, see how you can get involved with them. Cause likely there's some high net worth individuals that could write a first 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 check to help get you started. Yeah. It almost seems like once you get that name or that person, that foundation, then people start to follow suit. People start to really believe in they just need that. Some people don't want to be the first. It seems like people don't want to be the first, and that's incredible that you all have persevered through all that. That still shocks me that me that is that me is too. going on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I thank you all for for being the pioneers to push through it and really make it make this possible. Because if anyone is listening right now, it's possible if you're looking to create something like this. And people that look just like you, people that come from first generation backgrounds. So now we're going to move on to some leadership questions. And I wanted to ask this to you, Kayla. So you were recently on an interview with Latina to Latina, great podcast. You were um, talking with her about the crossroads of deciding where to start the company. I love this question when, when it came up. But it was between San Francisco and Memphis, Tennessee. And you described San Francisco as a better place, obvious choice for the business versus Memphis, that being a better place for your life, your family, buying a house. Can you explain? I don't think this is talked about enough as entrepreneurs. Can you explain your thought process and that decision and how entrepreneurs should take care of their lives and love themselves so that their businesses can thrive? I am a firm believer that if I'm not okay, the business is not going to be okay. You know, the stigma of entrepreneurs don't sleep and they just grind like through the night. If I don't sleep, I'm not okay. I'm not functioning. If I don't work out and move my body, I'm not okay. You know, there's this like well-being component of my physical, mental, financial, social, emotional, like those components have to be met and served and fed for me to be okay, to function. And when we thought about building the company, a lot of times it's like, okay, well, what kind of exit are you going to get? And, you know, how fast can you get there? And it's like, 
you expect to just kind of jump in a hamster wheel and run until you can hit that goal. And when we thought about, I mean, who we are as people and what we wanted to achieve, I think very early on, maybe we didn't verbalize it, but we do now, we had two goals. The first is we want to build a successful company that is going to be a name that people can recognize all over the globe, you know. But the second was was to inspire Latinas, Latinos to be able to see themselves in what we do and achieve it themselves, to remove barriers, to show that a pregnant Latina woman can raise millions of dollars, you know, and to show that that's okay and normal, and also to talk about that it's not easy. And so we've had these dual goals, and we we sought investors that would also have what we call a multiple bottom line, like invest in us for the return and invest in us for what we're doing um, for the world. And so if we didn't take care of ourselves, we would be at odds with kind of the values we've created within the company. And so very early on, I saw, I saw what was happening in San Francisco. You know, I saw my friends starting companies and not sleeping and I mean, it's such high risk when you're talking about such an expensive place to live. And so when Memphis came into the picture, it was like, well, wait a second, we can build a high growth business here and we can live our lives and enjoy this process. Like this is the prime of our lives, you know? So how can we make sure that we can be present during this and not just talk about it after it's done? And it wasn't, wasn't really seen in a positive light when we, you know, it's like, why would you do that? You crazies, you know, San Francisco is where you start business. But I think that we need to talk about the fact that we have to be okay. And we found investors, thankfully, that understand that that's important to us too, you know? Yeah, thank you. I think that's great that you bring that because it's not something that is often brought I've had an advisor come in for a bunch of uh, startups in Silicon Valley talk about how a lot of times like they they don't they're not living in the moment and they're not thinking about their their health and their lives like that that sometimes it's crazy how it's it's really cerebral but they sometimes when they create something it's it's not always for the right reasons when you look deep into it and then they're not happy it's like that the common phrase of Someone's rich, they started something, and they're still not fulfilled some way, somehow. And uh, I think that's beautiful to see an entrepreneur that is, has a fulfilling life and has a family and is doing all these things to take care of yourself. And that's important for all those entrepreneurs out there. Take care of yourselves because without you, there is no business. And and how can it continue to move on? So this for this for this next question... Often leaders are asked to share the best advice they received, but let's reverse the question. Can you share with us maybe a time you got advice that you received that you now wish you never followed? Yeah, I and mean, there's there's like several categories, right? You have the advice that you follow that goes well. You have the advice that you follow that goes poorly. And then you have like the advice you didn't follow that you wish you did follow. So there's, I feel like there's... And as a small company, there's, there's so much input. There's, you know, you're, you're talking to so many people. You're receiving so much input, so much advice, whether it's solicited or unsolicited. And we struggled filtering, like, who knows their stuff? Like, is this what we should be doing? Should we just jump and pivot the whole company and spend six figures on 
getting this answer because this one person said it? Do we validate it with other people? And there's you should, so it, there's a constant struggle, especially in the early stages, of really figuring out who to trust and who to bring on your team formally or informally. So there were, I mean, I could think of lots of areas where we're just like, okay, well, let's let's try it and see if we can. But at the end of the day, what I always, and I can give an example too, but at the end of the day, what we've always come back to is that we know our business the best. We know ourselves the best, and we just have to do what feels right for us. Um, you know, we've had some regulatory advice early on that was like, okay, well, talk about your product this way. And it's just, once we did that, it kind of pigeonholed us almost into a drug category, which we didn't want to be in a drug. We want to be in a device. We don't want to be in a 30 million, 10 year process. We want to be in a, or 1 million, one year, two year process. So that was one advice we, we just followed for a little bit. And then it kind of pigeonholed us already in an early stage in an area that's hard to get out of. So I think it's, you know, it's a struggle to understand which advice do you follow. And the best way that we've done it is just validating it with more than one person and just saying, is this crazy? Does it make sense internally, externally? And at the end of the day, making the best decision that we feel is the best for the company and ourselves. And that has consistently worked out to be the best decision. You know, it's interesting. I guess I'll point to fundraising. I, I kind of was always told by not necessarily advisors we have now, but folks maybe we were talking to earlier on, like, keep your rounds small. Like, you don't need to, you're, you're not going to want to raise a big round. It's a lot of effort or it's a lot of responsibility and it's going to be easier to just like raise a smaller round. And that's how we approached it. You know, we did raise smaller rounds and I'm glad that we did. Um, but sometimes I always wonder, you know, what if we could have gotten a $10 million raise? Like, what what could that have unlocked from an innovation standpoint if we had gone for it and, you know, pulled a Silicon Valley? Like, yeah, we don't have all the answers, but this train's leaving the station and it's about to launch into space, you know? So join us or not versus, you know, a very more passive, like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do the $1 million or we'll do this. And so I think... Earlier on, I was a little bit more discouraged to do the larger raises, and I don't think that that has harmed the company. But there are moments when I wonder, man, what if we would have? What if we would have raised that $10 million plug, and where could we be today? Um, and so I guess my flipping that to advice, you know, listen to those, but also the, the wider your network, the more data inputs you can get. And like Isaac said, Earlier on in our company, we had, you know, one or two experts on each topic, and that is really not very helpful in figuring out what you should do, you know, so seeing if you can get a couple more opinions. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Both of you, thank you for being vulnerable and honest about that process. I don't think that's talked about enough and in the minds of an entrepreneur, where are they thinking through that? <laughs> so thank you both. For for this next question, you both are successful entrepreneurs and leaders. That's how I see you in my eyes. What are two character traits that you think were most instrumental to your success? So can you please maybe share a story or example? Two character traits. Let's start this one. Uh, I think being genuine about your purpose for, the, for starting the company and, and why you're doing it. And then also as simple as being visible. And those two have led to, for an example, I can give like an, an investor opportunity, just, you know, being genuine about whatever you're doing. If you 
join a board, like Kayla was saying, for the young professionals council, or you join a nonprofit organization, or you whatever it is, if you're volunteering, don't do it because you're expecting something in return. Because if you are, then that intention is not going to come across very well. So being genuine about whatever you're doing has just attracted a lot of great people to surround ourselves with to help us get to the next stage. And then being visible, meaning if there is a networking event, go talk to people, like share your idea within reason, you know, of course, of what you can share and tell people what you are trying to do and ask, like, do you know anyone in this? Just be visible because when opportunities come up, you're going to be top of mind for those people. It's like, oh, we need someone in this space. Hey, I've seen this person around this event quite a bit. You know, even virtual events, hop into rooms, hop into clubhouse, like whatever it is, it, it's just hop into it and, and be visible. So us, by doing that, we're able to get invited to these networking events that we would have never been invited to. These, like Kayla's talking about chamber events or holiday parties where you're just like, you would network with high net worth individuals. And we got to this one holiday party and I was just talking to someone. They're like, okay, well, if you ever need investment, you just let me know. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really oh, wow. nice of you. Thank you. And then it's like, like, I mean, I don't know what was wrong with me in that moment. I guess that was like, so I just <laughs> left the conversation. I was like, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Nice meeting you, whatever. And then one of my friends said, you know who you're talking to? I was like, no, I don't know who that is, but he's awesome. Whoever he is, he's awesome. And it happened to be like a prominent net, you know, net worth individual here. Part of the FedEx family that, that was, uh, interested in investing in Sweet Bio. And I think it was like three, four months later. I was like, why didn't I get the information? Why did it? And then I saw that person again at an event and I went up to them and I was like, remember that time you said if we ever needed an investment? It's like, well, now's the time. <laughs> it's like, can I get the card, some information? Uh, and then they're like, oh, I don't really have a card right now. I was like, it's okay. I have mine in the pen. I was like, I wrote down the email like on my card and everything, followed up with <laughs> Kayla. And then he ended up becoming one of our biggest angel investors. So I think it was like just being genuine. I wasn't trying to get money out of this person. I was really just trying to share our idea, be genuine mm. about what we're, what we're doing, listen, you know, to, to yeah. him and everything. And that's, that's what I felt like has been success, uh, helpful for us to be successful is just being genuine, being visible, and just doing like what we love and sharing our passion with others. Yeah, I would I would completely echo that. And maybe character traits is such an interesting way to think about it. I would say two skills that align with character traits. I think if you're an entrepreneur, you have to have a strategy bone in your body you know, to be able to map out and start to see how different paths that you could go down play out. And our ability to do that early on to say, okay, let's just talk about all the activities that need to happen. Let's put them in a contingency map, like this one needs to happen first. And these are under kind of this category. And that built our first roadmap. And we still do road mapping and project planning to this day. And so I think recognizing maybe the character trait is recognize if you have that strategy bone or if you need to find someone um, to get that <laughs> that characteristic but it is something that is so critical and needed is to be able to map and kind of envision when you close your eyes see where you can you need to be but then how you're going to get there and, and start laying those rules out so i'd say strategy the second is i think you you should try to be the most knowledgeable person in the room on your on your industry, on your topic. I mean, not in a way that comes across as cocky or, you know, I don't know. You can still be very humble about it, but knowing your stuff, spending time reading about industry and about 
competitive products that has gone such a long way, you know, being hungry to learn and continue to learn, knowing that people can disrupt you at any moment, a new company can come in and take over what you're doing or do something better or do something that's more splashy, being hungry to continue to learn and be knowledgeable in your area has also gone a long way when we're sitting in an investor room or we're talking with a customer. Thank you for sharing that. That's incredible. So this is the final question of the leadership questions. And this one uh, will go uh, specifically for Dr. Isaac Rodriguez. So as a co-inventor of the Sweetbow technology, who did you lean on for advice when you didn't have the answers when creating this, this product? Yeah, that's a great question because if you're creating something, even if it's a product or a technology or a new business or something, it's your baby, right? You have a lot of pride of ownership, but you also need to make sure you have all the right inputs as well. So for me, uh, on the science side, I, I leaned on my PhD advisor, Dr. Gary Boland, who was the one who brought me out to Memphis. And uh, he was kind of the scientific person that I could go to. Also, some of the ones that I work with during my PhD. So that I had, I felt like I had a pretty solid scientific group around me that I can reach out to and say, I'm having these technical issues. Can you help me work through them? The use, like the end user side, I don't think that's talked about enough from a, from a science standpoint where as an inventor in a science space, you're probably inventing for yourself in the science and it's like the product works. Okay. Let's pretend we commercialize it. Is it ever going to get through the FDA? And if it does, is it going to cost $10,000 a pop and no one can afford it? So you may have to invent around like regulatory, invent around the end user. And something as simple as we give our product to a doctor, which is what we did uh, to a dentist at the time. And, and the dentist was like, oh, well, the uh -huh. product's too stiff. I'm like, well, yeah, but it works. <laughs> well, what are you? It's like, so now you have to make sure it works and be less stiff. So making sure you have the end user mm -hmm. feedback in there too. I, I did get I did get some of that, which is very, very important. And the one part that I wish I got more of, or some of, really, was the business side. I didn't really consult anyone from the business side when when inventing a product. So, like, how easy is this to form a company around? You know, it, it all all those areas. I I think I did well from more than just science. I got science and end user, but I know I could have done a lot more with science and user understanding regulatory reimbursement. Uh, understanding the business side, maybe some packaging. I don't know, just like ask more mm -hmm. questions of downstream and then kind of work the invention a little bit backwards, which is counterintuitive when you're thinking about building something from, from the ground up. Thank you so much for answering that. Those were some of our leadership questions. Now we're moving on to the final segment. And this segment is called Mind Your Business, where we take pre-selected questions from our listeners and ask them to our entrepreneurs. As a listener, you do not have the burden of asking these set of questions that you may be shy about asking entrepreneurs because maybe you're afraid of how they're going to respond. So this is where I do it for you. For those tuning in, you can ask any questions. All questions got to be appropriate, though. However, nothing is left behind and off limits when it's about the business. So lastly, our guests then, both you, Isaac and Kayla, have the option to answer on the spot or tell me, mind your business. Are you both ready? <laughs> Let's do it. Ready. All right. So first question. Uh, this question comes from Anonymous. Is it edible? <laughs> uh, 
Man, I don't want to get in trouble with the FDA, but it has edible ingredients, and I have taste tested it. So, it's it's yeah. Let's just go. Let's just stay with that. <laughs> awesome. Um, this question comes from Stephanie Yamasaki, my sister. So, why honey? How did you come about using manuka honey? Maybe why not aloe vera or other other sort of things that could help with healing wounds? Yeah, I I studied honey in in my grad school, so it was a one of a million ingredient which I knew how to work with, but it was also gaining traction in the medical space. So it just it came it hit its limitation of what it could do, and then we unlocked more of honey's potential. So it was an ingredient that was that was well documented that has also been through the FDA, but has never been seen in the light that we've kind of reinvented it around. But that doesn't exclude us from using other ingredients like aloe vera or other materials that are out there. So we can absolutely incorporate other natural materials into our products. And I would say at the same time as we were kind of coming up, timing is everything. There's a great book called The Click Moment where it just talks about like you can build everything, but it has to be timed right. And Manuka Honey was getting socialized in the consumer space. So you can buy it now at Costco or Sam's Club and one of the Kardashians had a Manuka honey line. And so from a socialization and education level, it was timed so nicely with kind of the explosion of uh, the awareness of Manuka honey. So it made good business sense. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Now, last question. So uh, what did the first official, and, and sorry, so this question comes from Mariah, Mariah Corona. So what did the first officialized test for this product look like? Did you get to use it on an actual wound to test the product? Oh, man. I mean, that's a that's an interesting question because there's so many tests that we had to do. So the official one, I mean, I guess when you're going through the FDA, you have to do benchtop tests. You have to do FDA-required studies. But really, you don't know how it works until you until you put it in a human, right? So that, I guess, to, to me in my eyes, was like the first official test of, is this going to work? And we, you could do that before you get through the FDA if you get some approvals and everything. But we, we just said, we're going to get through the FDA. Let's do that. And then once we got through, we were able to find a doctor. Actually, a doctor found us. And we were able to give him product. And he put it on the first patient. And the wound just closed up. And more importantly, the product just de- the product is degradable, 100% fully biodegradable into the wound. But we thought it was going to take several weeks to degrade. So after one week, the doctor calls us back up. It's like, oh, the product's gone. We're like, what do you mean it's gone? Like, it, it should still be there. All the data that we have that we submitted to the FDA, like, you know, it, it should still be there. What's, what's going on? It's like, what's well, the first time you put it in a human? The environment's very different. So it's like, it wasn't a concern. It was just we're learning so much. So... So yeah, I think the first official test was really like, we knew it was safe and we knew it was effective. We got through the FDA, but how well does it work and how does it work? And let's see how the human body responds to it. So that was so exciting to, to see and hear. I'm okay if you have anything to add, but it was just an awesome moment. No, that was perfect. That was one of the best moments I think in our history was especially to help this patient get some of, you know, some happy moments back in life when that wound's closed. Wonderful. That was Mind Your Business. Thank you for being wonderful guest. Kayla and Isaac, thank you for being on our show. Tell our listeners how they can reach out to you if they're looking for advice when starting their own medical device company or being in the, that space. And feel free to throw any plugs where people can reach out if they're looking to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, 
congratulations if you're starting a business or you can do this if you're about to get one going and you're just kind of on the fence. We're happy to answer questions or help you along your way. So sweetbio.com is our website. Our contact info is on there. Um, we're also on every social media site that you can find except for TikTok, working on that. But we're Sweetbio Co. on Instagram, Sweetbio Co. on Twitter, um, Sweetbio on Facebook, and then Kayla, sweetbio.com, Isaac at sweetbio.com. If you don't hear from us, just ping us again. You know, we'd love to be able to help. It's it's one of our passions. So thanks for listening. Yeah. And for those tuning in, make sure to follow and subscribe to us on all streaming platforms, including our socials at Go Entrepreneur Yourself and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Now Spotify has reviews as well. And this will, if you leave us a review, it will allow us to be able to continue to reach out to more people and share these incredible stories from entrepreneurs like Kayla and Dr. Isaac Rodriguez so that you can get this digestible advice for all our future and current entrepreneurs. Thank you both for coming on to the show. Thank you. It was a blast. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us.